I can't believe how bad this is. And I was having to count five seconds at a time just to survive. Like, can I survive this another five seconds? It was the worst mental and physical pain I'd ever experienced in my life. And it was the hardest thing I've ever had to go through and will be the hardest thing that I've ever had to get through. Hello, fellow Earthlings. Welcome to the Becoming the Big Me podcast. I'm your host, Jamila Burney, and together we will be stepping into our highest potential, exploring all things mind, body, and soul with just a smidge of business. You're a spiritual badass, soulpreneur, and a warrior for change. You're ready to expand your impact and leave your old self behind in order to raise your vibration so that you can positively influence your business, your community, and ultimately, the world. Without further ado, let's dive right into it. Hey, you guys, it's Jamila. Welcome back to the Becoming the Big Me podcast. I have with me here today one of my absolute favorite people, Andrew Finfrock from the Mental Wealth Project. Um, Andrew has been one of my really great friends over the past couple of years, but he's actually now one of my coaches. And I have grown to just really, really have a lot of respect for Andrew. He's been through so much. He's on his journey of sobriety and recovery. And the biggest thing about Andrew, you guys, is you will never meet a man that has as much heart as Andrew does. And so Andrew, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. And I'm really, really excited for the knowledge that you are about to drop because I know that you are going to have some amazing nuggets. You always do. I cannot miss a conversation with you that you do not drop some fire. Well, thank you so much for having me. And um, congratulations on everything that you've done as well. Like, it's been really cool to watch you grow, the people you're inspiring, the businesses you're doing. Um, and you also don't do anything half-assed. You do everything with your full heart. So congratulations to you for that. Thank you. I appreciate that. So Andrew, I know that you have uh, become very vulnerable with your story. And that has been a, a big thing that I really respect you for is your vulnerability. And, and this podcast, the Becoming the Big Big podcast, is all about stepping into the greater version of yourself each and every day. And it, I hold the belief that there's never a time that we have arrived, that we have arrived to a place. It's always a journey and we're always becoming. But I do want to kind of just go back a little bit for you and just hear a little bit of your backstory and how you came to be the man that you are today. Yeah, and before I do that, I want to say, and I want everybody to hear this, for people that are trying to find out who they are, you find out who you are in your vulnerability. And if you're not being vulnerable, you're never going to find out who you are. Um, so just about me, you know, it's crazy. Every time I get asked this, like, you know, I'm an overanalyzer too. I'm like, how far do I go back? How much details, you know? Um, but you know, really important things about me is a little bit me as a kid is I always cared about people. My mom said, you know, growing up when we lived out in the country that I ran up to her one time and said, you know, I, I know what I want to do when I grow up. And, um, and I told her that I wanted to build houses for people that couldn't afford it. And, um, you know, I also grew up with a bunch of um, 
you know, there were some intense situations, you know, my growing up with my family wasn't like everybody else's, or maybe it was like a lot of people's, but um, I just grew up a lot differently. I had to think a lot differently. I had to, you know, there was a lot of arguing and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of verbal abuse. So, you know, I always went through school just with that heart that you were talking about. And I cared about people. In fact, whenever other kids would make fun of other kids, I was always wondering why they would do it. I mean, I understood how it worked. Like, like I understood they were trying to hurt somebody else, but I never understood why. I just never really had the intent to try and hurt anybody. Um, now, for, further in my story, I end up hurting myself a lot. <laughs> but um, so that was kind of just me, just the real um, genuine kid growing up. And I let people walk on me and I didn't have a lot of self-confidence. And so that was, you know, um, when I got into middle school is really when my my insecurities and and self-worth and everything really just just hit the floor. I remember, and I've actually never shared this, the first day of sixth grade, you know, I got in the car with my mom, she said, how was it? And I just broke down because uh, some of my friends that i had had in fifth grade turned on me and I didn't have anywhere to sit on in, during sixth grade. And it was a really hard time. And for the um, first half of sixth grade, it was really, really rough, you know, and I was on Adderall, which made me, or no, it was Ritalin at the time, which made me extremely socially awkward and nervous. And it really, really um, put a magnifying glass on all my, my already, or already had insecurities. And so I had a rough time in school growing up. And then, um, you know, I did eventually get some good friends and, you know, some friends also that made fun of me that took advantage of me. And then I go into high school and, you know, I was good at sports. I had a lot of natural talent. And so I was a baseball player. And so um, that got me in with the really popular crowd but I was still the person who got made fun of in the popular crowd. You know, I still continuously didn't stand up for myself. And um, I struggled with school. I all, Growing up, they were always testing me to see where my intelligence was at. And the intelligence was always really high, but it, my grades never reflected it. And um, so in high school, I barely graduated. And then I get out of high school and I, I moved actually to Ohio because I met a girl on AOL and I was doing online dating way before it was ever cool. <laughs> and uh, so I moved to Ohio. Um, and of course I was in no shape to be a partner to a girl at that time. And I was insecure and of course it didn't go well. So that was a traumatic experience for me. It was the first time I really, really hardcore fell in love. And I kind of came back to Tulsa where I lived with my tail between my legs and <clears throat> started working in retail. And um, I met a guy there that, um, was trying to start a band and I uh, had a drum set and I had drummed and learned how to drum growing up. And I got into playing professional music for a few years from like 2002 to maybe 2007 on and off. And um, really enjoyed that. And I mean, that was one of my favorite things to do. Music is a passion of mine. I trying to kind of get through this quick. And then I played professional music. I then got out of professional music. I made an attempt to go into the Coast Guard and serve i passed my flight physical but then i ended up getting declined because of like an oversized left ventricle and um and some some condition i mean i actually it was weird i passed my flight physical with the the uh the air force medical staff but then when they sent it to the coast guard they still declined it um and then so at that point in time i had made the decision i had so much pressure always to do the next thing why am i not doing this why am i not doing this my dad was so hard on me you need to be doing this you need to be doing that 
And I was working for Best Buy at the time doing home, um, home theater automation installations. And I was making decent money. And I thought for the first time, I'm just going to take some time, do this job and kind of just be okay to coast for a little while. And, um, and at this point in time in my life, I wasn't a big drinker. I liked to drink and, and stuff. And I did party a lot whenever I played professional music, but never really <clears throat> took, took control of my life. So I did that for a few years. And then um, I got let go of my job there. And then I ended up working for a communications company. And I did so well at one of the jobs there in sales. I got promoted to the business sector. <clears throat> and I um, did okay. But then right around that time is where my addiction and alcoholism really took over. I got prescribed Xanax because I was having some anxiety. And that's when everything started dwindling for me. And my drinking started taking over. And let's fast forward to where I made the big decision. Um, you know, there's so much in behind that story about going out, making an ass of myself and, you know, just just drinking. I was never like an angry person that fought. I just was like a, a just a, a drunk and I love to do drugs. And, you know, no matter what the drug was, I'd do it. And, um, but so I remember, you know, it was around, it was 2013. And I remember I was sitting on my dad's fireplace and we were talking, he said, I just carried on and on and on for a long time. And eventually I said, well, you know what, maybe I should get some help. And what I didn't know at the time is my family was kind of in the, the background, maybe trying to plan an intervention or how do we approach them? So everybody else saw it. And I'm thankful that they didn't do that. Cause I personally, in my opinion, I'm against interventions. I don't think that they're always effective. I think they remove the one foundational security that addicts and alcoholics have. But anyway, so I made the decision. And at this time, I wasn't convinced I was an addict or an alcoholic. I was just like, you know what, like, I'm gonna go to treatment, get a 30 day timeout, and, uh, you know, get just get a break from life. And so I made the decision to go. And I go to treatment. In the first two days were pretty easy because my withdrawals hadn't kicked in. And so the reason I'm fast forwarding to this part is this is where all the pivotal moments and the big lessons in my life happened. And so I was in treatment and I um, was in a room where they, you know, said for me to go and I'm sitting at the back of the room and I, I have an attitude. <laughs> I'm, I'm entitled. I think, oh, I work for, I'm an account executive for a communications company. I don't belong here. I'm not one of them. Some guy was speaking and you hear me say a lot, the F word saved my life. And some guy starts cussing. So I start paying attention to him. And because I was paying attention to him, he said, guys, this is going to get you to jails, institutions, or death. And I remember like, boom, immediately my brain was like, oh, he's not talking to you. And I disqualified myself from that. Yeah. Because um, I've never been arrested. That's like, that has to be a spiritual God thing in itself. I mean, I've never been handcuffed and never been arrested. I've driven drunk and I've done drugs, broken the law and all that stuff. Never been caught. Right. And so I immediately was like, um, well, this guy's not talking to me. And the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life happened. This guy walked up to me and he could see it on my face. And he walked up and said the five words that will forever have changed my life. He said, you're in a fucking institution and looked me right in the eye and just boom. Because the treatment facility is an institution. It's a mental institution. 
And a lot of people sometimes contextualize that like that I was just in an institution of denial and so forth, but I was literally in an institution. Yeah. And yeah. I remember thinking, holy shit. And I couldn't believe like how blatantly obvious it was where I was, but how much I believed that I wasn't. Well, I was fascinated with that. That's the thing with, with this disease is that when you are in it, you can't see it's only disease. Like you said, that tells you that you don't have it, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you are in it, your mind will do anything it possibly can to just to distort and justify reality to align with you not having a problem. And, yes. And that is something that I just feel like is so important for, for others to understand, especially if you are dealing with an addict in your life, is the chances are they do not see what you see. So maybe everyone else could yeah. see it. And just like you, Andrew, where everyone around you could see the problem. I mean, it was the same situation for me. Everyone around me could mm -hmm. see it, but I'm like, no, you guys are the problem, right? And that's what we do. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's what we do yeah. with addicts. You know, we may be able to do a whole other show about that because I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. And, you know, there's a lot of people that would say, oh, it was a choice. You know, why did you choose to do that? And it's not that simple. And, and you can only understand it if you've been on both sides of it. I've been on that side where like, it's just as believable. And I do a speech about this, that two plus two equals five, because whenever like I would do my bad behaviors or addiction, alcohol and behaviors, like it was just as simple as if I say two plus two, your brain says four without even you questioning it. And those thoughts to make those decisions that most people think are bad decisions and are bad decisions. It is that real and that believable in those moments that it's like, go drink, go do drugs, go shoot up, go snort cocaine, whatever, like it's believable. And so, I mean, we, we could talk about that for hours. So, um, so and I just would say moment. for anybody listening, um, for anybody listening, if you do know an addict or an alcoholic or someone like, I, I want you to think about that in the majority of all cases, they're not choosing to have a miserable life. They just don't know that it's that miserable and they really don't know what to do. So um, anyway, I'll get back to my story. Um, so at that point in time, I just was like, holy shit. Like if I, if that's one thing that I don't know, what else is it that I don't know about myself? And that's when I became ready to receive information. That's when I became ready to learn. And from that point on, I was at least willing to listen. I wasn't fully convinced, <laughs> but I at least knew that there was something wrong in my thinking. And that's what's so fascinating is there was every sign around me. I mean, it was so blatantly obvious that it took that one statement to get me to think about it, but it was, there was everything around me, no friends. I mean, drinking a full glass of vodka to go to sleep, you know, doing so much cocaine that I um, would, would pray because I thought I was going to overdose because even at the time I didn't even believe in God and I was too selfish to believe in God. But when I thought I was going to overdose, you bet your ass, my selfish self was like, Oh, I'm going to pray now. Anyway. So there was tons of things around me that just were so obvious that, that it was right in front of me. Okay. So but the funny thing um, about that, Andrew, it's like, that's, that's how our brains work, right? Like, mm -hmm. like confirmation bias, our, our brains will literally go out and seek the information that backs up what we hold as truth, what we hold deepest truths to ourselves. So if we don't believe that we're addicts, 
our brain will go out and find any information that it can possibly piece together to mm-hmm. to show us that we're not. And yes, and then you switch it, the same thing happens. And what you did, it sounds like that that man coming up to you and, and speaking that to you, it all it did was it opened the it, it opened the question. So it wasn't such a hard set belief, like, oh, maybe there is. And, and more information just started to leak in. <laughs> yes. I mean, like we experienced that on Clubhouse last night. There was an individual that was just trying to argue with us so much and create the narrative that they wanted to believe and um anyway there was so much irony in that situation as i now think about it but um so you want me to keep going or yeah okay cool so that was the really big first pivotal moment and the lesson i learned there is there's a big difference between being honest with yourself and the truth mm-hmm. and so um my withdrawals hadn't hit at that point and so about uh one or two days later 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 <laughs> my withdrawal started kicking in and to be honest, if I would have known how bad my withdrawals were going to be, I would not have gone to treatment. I was like, ah, you know, so I assumed heroin withdrawals were the worst, but I was withdrawing from Xanax alcohol and just tons of that uh, fake synthetic pot. And so my withdrawals start hitting and I've tried to articulate them. I've tried to explain them to people and they're unexplainable, but I'll, I'll try and do it justice again. It is and was the most physical aching pain, like the flu times a hundred, the anxiety and mental struggle, like impending doom times a hundred. I went temporarily blind because my eyes had dilated so much. I was profusely shaking. Like I had Parkinson's or something like that. I was just shaking. I just looked terrible. And so I was in the treatment facility and I'm such an overachiever because I was the one in treatment that was withdrawing the absolute worst. I was literally the guy, like if you're to walk into that room, like all these people withdrawing in bad shape, like I'm not as bad as that fucking guy. (laughs) Like that was me. And so I was tired of being judged or at least what, what I was perceiving as judgment that could have been my projections, but I was just, I was exhausted. So I go into the bathroom and I'll tell you how I experienced it at the time and then tell you what I think really happened. But I was, I went into the bathroom and I was just wanting a break from being judged. And I was thinking to myself, I can't believe how bad this is. And I was having to count five seconds at a time just to survive. Like, can I survive this another five seconds? It was the worst mental and physical pain I'd ever experienced in my life. And it was the hardest thing I've ever had to go through and will be the hardest thing that I've ever had to get through. And I remember this, I was standing in that bathroom, just like it was yesterday. And I looked over and the last thing I saw, I saw this let go and let God sign. And this isn't really such a significant spiritual thing. It was just the last thing that I saw. And then I looked in the mirror and I could see it for the first time. I could see my swollen face, my red face, how pathetic I look, my sadness, the misery, just all the pain. And I looked at myself and I got emotional and and started crying And I thought, holy shit, Andrew, you are in bad shape. And it hit me how bad I was. And this is where I got the gift that I think not everybody gets the gift to to receive, but it hit me because when I walked into that bathroom, I was the victim. I was blaming other people. I was saying, well, I was around alcoholism. I was verbally abused. I had this type of growing up excuse, excuse, victim, victim. I was the victim. And all of a sudden I thought to myself, all right, Andrew, you're here because of all the thoughts, decisions, and actions you've made. This is because of what you've done, Andrew. Nobody else did this. 
And it just hit me. I was like, you know what? It may not be my fault I'm here, but it sure as fuck is my responsibility to get out of it. And I thought I'm the one that made all the thoughts, decisions, and actions to get myself here. And I'm going to be the one who gets myself out of it. And that happened in a matter of minutes. And isn't that just like the most heavy yet liberating thought and experience Mm -hmm. right there? Because not only yes it is your responsibility that that you have come to that place and you've come to that point that you are at but guess what else that means you have the ability to change that and that's what i think is so powerful because you did so yes i i would love for you to dive into into that part into now you had that realization the awareness you have awoken to mm-hmm. to yourself right that's really all that happened it was an awakening to your own self and who you were and how you were to be and and Mm -hmm. from that moment carry on oh yeah so and i'm going to sidestep for a second because this is something i'm so passionate about there's so many people out there that are stuck and they don't know it they don't even realize that they're blaming other people and their brain gives them all these excuses to where why they can't succeed why they can't move forward and i was one of those people and it this is the reason I do what I do because I want someone to have that aha moment like I did. And if you're listening, I want you to pay attention because if you're someone who's stuck and you're blaming other things and you think it's, it's someone else's fault or some other environment's fault, I want you to really think about this because what you're really admitting is if it's someone else's fault, someone else's or some other experience or some other situation outside yourself that you're where you're at, then what that means is you can't do a fucking thing about it. It means that you're stuck in that other situation is going to be the only thing that can get you out of it. So there's so much beauty and so much power in saying, yes, it's me. Yes, it's my decisions. Yes, it's everything I've done because that means you can get yourself out of the situation. When we blame an outside situation, then that means we give the power to the outside situation that we can't do it unless that thing, place, or whatever it is makes a change. And that's not the truth. And so I get very passionate about that because I don't want any human to spend one more second longer than they have to stuck in that mindset because it was miserable for me. And And I I feel like I've gotten the gift to see the other side of it. And I absolutely love that passion, Andrew, because it's something that you have, that you have lived and and you see how taking that ownership has transformed your life. I mean, that Mm -hmm. was something that we were discussing in that, in that room was, was calling, taking on the ownership and the title of the name addict. Like that's something that we wear with pride because that awareness mm-hmm. is so crucial to our sobriety and to mm-hmm. our continued growth. And, yeah. and that just, uh, and, and I feel the same passion. I love that mm-hmm. passion and that fire behind that because it's real. And then and that's the heart, you guys. That's exactly what I was telling you at the beginning of this. Is, is this is Andrew's heart coming through and all of that passion that comes through from him, that's love. And that's how he shows his love because it's the truth. And that's really how how you do transform your life. And I know that Andrew really does want to help as many people transform their lives. And that's why you see that that fire coming through. And that's why you're the best. I appreciate that. And, (laughs) And I appreciate you bringing that up. You know, I only know how to help people the way that I was helped. And I want, even if I upset somebody or piss them off, like that means I hit an emotion. And the guy that said, you're in a fucking institution. Do you think I liked hearing that at first? No, (laughs) I hated the guy for it. 
But now he's probably the most influential. I don't even know his name, know who he is, but he's probably the most influential guy in my life. You know, and I, if, if the listeners are probably thinking, well, what happened on Clubhouse last night? Uh, someone came into one of our rooms just to contextualize, and they were trying to tell us, and us being me, you, and some other um, addicts and alcoholics that have turned it into success, that they don't see us as addicts and alcoholics. And they were trying to tell us how to feel about us. And the simple answer to that is we, we were stating the fact that we can't solve a problem that we don't understand to exist. And honestly, I've said this before, if I had to identify as a worthless piece of shit to get the results that I had, I don't give a shit what I have to say about myself, right? Because I've learned that in my humility. Now, and I want to make sure I'm not saying that addicts and alcoholics are worthless pieces of shit. I'm just saying that I don't care what I have to admit to own what's on my side of the street, because that's where the results happen. And honestly, the, the stronger and more fucked up your past is, the more people respect you because it creates contrast. Like if I just didn't drink my whole life, it wouldn't be very interesting. <laughs> right. Like everybody gets so stuck in the guilt and shame about their past. And that's the most powerful part of their life because it gives you the opportunity, opportunity to show people who the fuck you are. Right. So like I say, the stronger the judgment, the more they remember you when you prove them wrong. Anyway. Well, that's something that, you know, when, when, when these kinds of things come up, when, when people feel offended by something that you say, exactly what you're saying, Andrew, as far as the emotions that come up, I want you to ask you this. Would you feel an emotion if you 100% fully be believe that it wasn't true? Well, no, you would not. You would not feel anything. Boom. I'm over here saying, Andrew, you have purple hair and I'm like trying to make fun of it. You're, you're not going to take anything I'm saying seriously because you know for 100% fact that that's not true. But if I'm no, I'd just be glad that you saw that I had hair. <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm, You're nailing it. if I'm saying something that there's some underlying somewhere questioning, uh-oh, um, then you're you're going to you're going to feel that and you're going to have a yeah. question on that. Hold on a second. Did my did I just lose my video? Yeah, it's okay. We can keep jamming. Okay. Um yeah, let's just keep rolling. Um and so that being said, it's um, it's really important to me that people understand that. When I was on a podcast a couple of years ago, I remember the gentleman saying, Andrew, it, when you get that feeling to shut down or not share or that fear, that's when you lean in. That's when you lean in and you really overshare. And I'll never forget that because that ties so true to what you're saying that like, if I've offended somebody or I've upset somebody, it's not me. It's that I hit a nerve. And when you hit a nerve, that means it's something to explore. Now, there's a difference in someone insulting you and just being an asshole. But <laughs> someone saying something that, that gets you to have an emotional reaction, the people that are successful that I know, including you and myself, when someone upsets me, I think, why did that upset me? And yeah. let's explore that some more. So, Why well, that's something um, that honestly, it, it, you are so, you showcase this so much it's in your being just as being your friend i i know there's been on multiple occasions where you've contacted me after a conversation just to verify and just to like clear things up because maybe sometimes in our conversation get a little more heated sometimes or you know whatever direction they go mm -hmm. but you will always contact like you have that self-awareness afterwards like oh wait maybe that was perceived in you know x way so that's something that I just think is really powerful because it's something that you showcase every day. Not only are you talking about it, but you live it every single day. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, and, and same for you. Um, so I'll kind of get back to the story. I, um, I realized that I was the person that, that could get myself out of the situation. It was very empowering for a couple reasons, because, and if you're listening and you're in a situation and you feel hopeless and you feel like there's nowhere to go or you're stuck, pay attention because this is what's so cool about it. Whenever I was in that moment, I had heard that that synthetic pot made people have permanent damage. I actually had believed that I was permanently messed up. Mm. And then whenever I had to realize that I had to admit that I was an addict or an alcoholic and please listeners, if you're listening, if you're like, well, I'm not an addict and an alcoholic, please contextualize this to your life. Because as soon as I admitted that I was an addict or an alcoholic, like right when I had that moment that like, I'm going to be the one that gets myself out of it. I didn't admit I had a problem. I found the solution. Right. I'm going to say that again. I, it wasn't so much about admitting the problem because when you find a problem, that means there's a solution on the horizon. But if we're denying the problem, denying what's really in front of us and denying the real situation that's in front of us, we can't solve a problem that we don't understand to exist. So from that point forward in that bathroom, um, and the other side of that was, I feel like I walked into that bathroom to give up looking back. And that's where I feel like God said, I'm not done with you mm-hmm. because I had such a spiritual transformation of how I perceive the situation And that's just really important to me because I am faith-based and I do believe God intervened in my life. Whether it's you guys believe the universe or whatever it is, I believe there was an intervention and I believe I am here to help other people walk through life and have just huge changes in their life. And that's what I've done. So from that point on, I made the decision to, um, to just say, all right, my thinking's not right. I'm gonna listen to other people and let them kind of tell me exactly what I need to do because it's time for me to learn and stop just being left to how I think I need to do things. So that was where I learned how to learn a lesson. And so um, I started doing what they said, you know, I get out of treatment and um, I was working as an account executive at that technology company. And I really didn't have a lot of, um, I wasn't very successful at that job. I, I didn't have a lot of production. There you are. Um, I didn't have a lot of production. I wasn't selling a lot because obviously I was in the middle of my addiction and stuff, but a job came across for me to start getting into capital equipment sales, selling CNC machines. And it was a great opportunity. And I, I got into it. It was awesome. I got to travel to uh, Germany, to Japan and, you know, really do high level sales and entertain clients. It was so much fun. It was right up my alley. And I was, I was really good at it. I knew nothing about the technology, but you know, that's a lot about what I teach in my sales because I sold a lot just based on relationships and being honorable. And um, oh, I remember when I got my first $1.1 million PO, I was like, wow, <laughs> I did seven figure sales in one PO, you know, it was so cool. And so I did that job and I, um, I had success at it. And um in the beginning of 2016, the oil business went down and, and the main market where I was selling was in Oklahoma, which is mostly oil and gas manufacturing. And so they had to let one person go. I even had more production, 
but they let me go because I was the um, I was the more inexperienced person. And so there's no bitterness there. If I would have been the boss, I would have let me go and kept the other guy. He had way more experience and it was the right business decision. And I had uh, got, I was in a really toxic relationship at that time. So I had a lot of commission checks coming in. So I was like, I'm going to take a time out and I'm going to work on me. So I started getting into fitness. I started just really diving internally and doing more work on myself. And at the end of 2016, I got into real estate investing. I met a gentleman who saw something in me and, you know, we made money. It was fun. And as I was thinking about this before our talk today, the majority of my sobriety has been in entrepreneurship. You know, I got out of the corporate world and I got out of the corporate mindset at the same time. That's you know, I had really to become an entrepreneur funny. of my sobriety and an entrepreneur of my life. So, um, I think that's really interesting, uh, Andrew, that, that you say that because when, before you said that, I hadn't actually thought of it, um, in that way myself, but same, same here. Um, I had, when I was working at Verizon, I had relapsed and I was using again, I was doing a lot of cocaine and same, you know, corporate structure, corporate sales structure. And when I left that position, I left that position. I gave up my cushy salary. I was 18 years old, the youngest manager of a Verizon store making, you know, six figures, making really good money. But I was using, and I was my, I had a full, my daughter was born. I had a full-time nanny. I never saw her because I was uh, working so much. And, um, but when I left, when I made the decision to leave that structure, it was because I was making the decision to choose my sobriety again. And I had to change my environment. And that's when I dove back into entrepreneurship. It was the second time that I was building a business. So I think that's a very interesting point because I do see a lot of um, recovering addicts who do dive into entrepreneurship. And I think part of it, I don't know, I would love to hear your thoughts on this, but I feel like part of it is because we do need to have something that we're working towards. And we do need to have like that busy, that busy work almost to keep our minds distracted. And for me, doing something to serve others that can really benefit the world and help others helps keep me on my path. What are you, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are. I completely agree. Um, I wouldn't necessarily characterize it as busy work, but productive. Right. We need to feel like we're advancing, pushing the needle forward. Um, you know, I, uh, as I'll get into my story, you know, I, I experienced some debt and then, you know, I've worked my way out of it and I don't feel any different right now. I am extremely proud of what I've done, but my relationship with money has changed so much, but I think you're right. I mean, people like us, and that's why most people, if they're listening, if they feel out of alignment, they're just really not doing what they want to do. Right. And we feel stuck. And you know, I remember even when I was working through my debt, like my routine was on point and I was so passionate because I had this realization that, cause I was really down on myself for about six months. I was like, cause I, I, you know, I wanted to get into coaching and consulting of what I'm doing now. And, um, I was really hard on myself and I thought, okay, Andrew, like, I, I created this environment in my head of so much shame, guilt, like I'm not good enough. Like I can't coach. And then I thought to myself, when's the last time I really had a hard situation and what happened? And I thought, well, when I went and got sober and I thought, well, what happened? I was like, I came out better, stronger, and more successful 
than 99.9% of the other people. And then boom, I had that realization. I was like, I'm not a bad business guy. I just had no money literacy. I was great at negotiating. I was great making money. I was great at, I mean, I have all this business knowledge and I have all this proven success. I just had the skill of spending money like an idiot. <laughs> and so I realized, and I broke it down. Most people guilt and shame themselves for the whole picture. And all it was, was I just had no money literacy. No one ever taught me about that. And so that was another lesson that I learned on my entrepreneur journey. And for you listeners, if you've ever experienced the money lesson or you're going through it right now, let me tell you this. Every successful entrepreneur has gone through it. It's almost, it's almost like a stripe because I went to a conference and this is the way I decided to face that fear. I went to a conference and I bought the VIP ticket to really network with some high achievers. And I made the decision. I was going to tell every single person that I was in the middle of my money lesson and I was, I was in debt. I made the conversation about the other person and found something unique about the other person I was talking to as a strategy to face the fear. Every single person asked to do business with me. They asked to connect with me and they were supporting me. And they were like, oh, Andrew, yours is $60,000. Mine was a half million. Mine was 2 million. This other person's like, well, mine was 5 million. And it was almost like they they were appreci they appreciated me sharing the lesson and they wanted to take care of me and help me understand that like, bro, I've been through it too. Yeah. And that's how I faced that fear. So, um, yeah. Wow. I can, I mean, I can relate. And when I look around, I do see a, a, to get past to that next level of success, you have to kind of wade through some of those struggles and figure out some things, you know, mm -hmm. like what I've realized is, you know, I, I didn't break until after the fact, I didn't break through levels of success in my life at certain, at, when I wanted them, because at that time, if I would have, I would have totally messed it up. I, yeah. I did not have, you know, the tools, the resources, the people, the systems, the skills to be able to handle what I wanted or what I, you know, what I was asking for at that time. And so I had to go through those struggles so I can figure out better systems so I could get the skills so that I could move on to the next step. And you never see it when you're in it. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. Once you know, once you're out mm -hmm. of it and you're looking back and you're like, oh, that's why that, you know, you start to see mm -hmm. not connected. Yes. <laughs> you just said the most brilliant things, Mila, is you never know what the lesson is when you're in the middle of it. Mm. And I want to get back on track and get to the story so we can keep moving. Um, so I've kind of talked a little bit about it. I, I, I was taking care of myself in 2016. I was in the gym and I was really trying to discover. I got into real estate. I loved it. I did, you know, there's some really cool things I did in real estate investing. Um, my partner was really good at finding the deals. And then I was the negotiator. I brokered the deals. I got the investors. I structured things. I mean, just moving and shaking and making shit happen. I mean, I loved it. And so um, I experienced um, a couple lessons during that time. I, I got fired by my real estate agent. And um, yes, you guys heard that correctly. The real estate agent that I was paying, she fired me. It was the best. One of the, it was probably the second most important lesson I've ever learned, because what I realized is like, I didn't realize how I was treating people. This is the same psycholo psychology as we talked about before. I, and this is what I apply to my coaching and everything. And everybody pay attention to this. This is so fascinating. She fired me because I was so difficult to deal with. And I thought we were going to lunch to celebrate, <laughs> like selling our first flip. And what I found out was, is that I assumed everybody would tell me if they were mad at me. 
like, because of how I was raised, if everything wasn't perfect, like I was like, if everything wasn't perfect in the house, like I was either yelled at or criticized. So I grew up the majority of my life thinking that if something's wrong, I'm going to hear about it. So that's why no news is, was good news. And nobody was telling me that I was, I was a little short with them and I was difficult to work with. So I had no information. And so once again, in 2017, I had to really dig in and think, what am I doing? What do I need to do better? And so I started passionately studying leadership, how to work with people. I've always had the gift of reading people, but I didn't have the skills. Like leadership is a skill. People is a skill and you can learn it. And so I started really focusing on my business relationships, the healthy way, the right way. And then my personal relationship started following suit and boom, that's when the light bulb went off. That's when I realized that everything ties together. That's why I'm so successful coaching people right now, because I know how to tie it all together because it's more than just money. It's more than just the thing you think it is. It all ties together. And my gift is being able to give people like long life lasting success in all areas of their life, no matter what it is. And so I learned the money lesson. I learned that I needed to learn how to treat people differently, more tactically. And, um, I made the decision that I wanted to work with people and coach people because there's a lot of people out there that are phenomenal people with extremely unhealthy behaviors that don't serve them. And that's what all this is about. That's what, that's why I'm here. That's why I coach because there's great people out there. And honestly, the more I climb the ladder in the entrepreneur world and, and get to know people, here's what I found out. The really good people like me and you and the listeners and people listening that are good people, we have a hard time telling people how good of a person we are, right? And there's a lot of shitty people out there that are great at telling everybody how good they really aren't. Yeah. And so my mission is to empower the people that need to serve others. Like the good people that have the skills to help others because they're good people, right? We're the people that need to stand up and represent entrepreneurship and growth because we have a responsibility because we're ethical, we're moral, we have integrity. These are the people that need to be helping other people. But it's so fascinating because there's a lot of people out there that are so good at marketing, but they're terrible people. And that's why I'm here. That's why I coach. And that's why I'm direct with people. That's why I do what I do because I will make sure when I leave this earth, I have changed it and I've helped others do the same. Gosh, whoa, that's... What a bomb, you guys. <laughs> I I hope you were paying really close attention because every single point that Andrew just brought up is completely spot on. This is something that I see with my clients as well. The people who are who need to be sharing the voice, the people who need to be out there serving are are the ones that are you're not going to see out self-promoting so much because that's not what it's about. Um but we need to. And I love how you, Andrew, really uh, help empower people to, to step into their own selves and to own their own power, because that is how we outreach and we help uplift more people. A lot of times, you know, good people, they have this kind of messed up view of mm -hmm. wealth and what success looks like. And because they're looking around and they're picking out and finding all of the negative um, examples because they have their own confirmation biases there. That's a whole nother topic. But 
they're going out and picking out all those people. So they subconsciously have this association that's negative about being successful and having wealth and and they don't want to be that because they are a good person. And so subconsciously, this is all happening on a very subconscious level. No, most people don't know that it's happening, right? They're, they're pushing themselves away from the success because they don't want to align with something that they mm -hmm. don't think is good. And, and that's something that I really feel like you, I mean, that's a huge belief and teaching that I work with my clients through, but I also feel like that's something that you do a lot um, as well as just help people give them the confidence to step mm -hmm. into their power. Because it's, you, you know, it's like the analogy of the kitchen knife. If someone, you know, gets stabbed, right? You're not gonna blame the knife that stabbed them. You're going to, to blame the intention of the person behind it. You, it can be also that same knife can be used to cook a beautiful meal for, for a family. And, and we're just saying money is the same, the wealth, the success, it is a tool that can be used depending on who is wielding it, depending on what the intentionality behind it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm telling you, if there was just one thing I want anybody to know, like being a good person with integrity makes you better than 98% of your competition immediately. And for you guys listening, if your brain was like, no, that's not true. That's a thought that's, that's not serving you. That's one of those examples where you're like, well, I want to grow, but then someone gives you some advice and then you just immediately discredit it. And I'm telling you, it's proven. It's true. Like being a good person and taking care of people makes you so rare. And most of the people that I know with money, with success, they didn't get successful by treating people poorly and by not caring. With social media these days and the ability to expose people, I love that because it makes it creates more accountability and responsibility. And I'm telling you, being a good person is one of the most valuable things. It's so valuable. It's more valuable than, than a, a skill. Like caring about people is so valuable. Well, and just one more point on that is, you know, as far as in the business sense, if you're able to take a, a, a customer or a client who is unhappy and who is upset and you're able to show that value towards them and turn them into a happy client, those are the people who are going to end up singing your praises the most. Those are going to be the people who are going to go out, you know, because a, a loud customer who is angry is also a loud customer that's happy. So if you have a customer that's out there saying mm -hmm. negative stuff, if you go above and beyond and be a good person and do the right thing, and it's not even about anything else, but if you just want to do the stand right by that person and make them happy, they're going to end those people by being a good person. That's going to put you above and beyond, just as Andrew was saying, just doing the right thing when those issues arise. Yes. And I'm telling you this up. a little. You're going to yes. mess up sometimes. <laughs> yes. And this is this is a business tactic that I teach. I'm going to pay attention. I go for the people that are, are verbose, that are loud, that are really not critical people, but just very um, opinionated because here's the deal. Um, in fact, I was at a training at that CNC company, the average age of the sales guys there was like 55. I was the younger guy. And this guy was doing a, a sales training. He, they, they described all these different types of people, like who would you want to get their attention in the office? And I picked the lady that is always busy that, um, you know, the, the, they describe this lady, the one who's always busy, who never has time for people. I said, that's the one I would pick. And I was the only one of the group that picked that lady. And the guy said, why? I said, because if I can get her to say something good about me or my product, then people are going to pay attention. And I was the only one that was right. 
So what does this mean to the people that are listening? Right. It means if someone don't like, oh, I don't want to deal with that person. They're a complainer. Guess what? The people around them also know they're kind of a complainer. They know they're opinionated, but they're also that type of person can also be a very successful person. So if you can get someone who's usually somewhat critical or opinionated or just very, very selective about how they do business and you wow that person, think about how impactful it is when that person walks around and says, you're not going to believe what this person did for me. That the people that respond to them are going to say, holy shit, I need to go pay attention to whoever this business is or whoever this person is because if they got this person over here to shift their thinking, they must be really good. Right. We've kind of gone down a rabbit hole here. I could talk about business all day long. Oh my gosh. I know. um, I know. And I feel like there's a couple of topics on here that we could really dig into to deeper and really go, you know, in depth on. And I would love to have you back on the show mm -hmm. so we can really dive into some of this. Um, I like to keep these around 45 minutes. So we're going to wrap this up here, but oh my gosh, Andrew, that was just amazing. Your story is so incredible. And, and I just love, ah, it's like the way that you think and the way that you put things together, it's just so inspiring and what you're doing, the work that you're doing, um, to help others and to uplift others. It's so powerful. And I know, I don't know, Andrew, I heard, so I heard a little birdie, uh, tweeting in my ear and was telling me that there might be something coming up from you where we might be able to tune into Andrew's voice a little bit more often. Am I, what's going on? Is there something up your seat? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I will be starting a podcast. It's going Woo! to be called <laughs> The Mental Wealth Project. And um, yes, that's something that I'm going to do. I was on uh, another podcast the other day and the, oh, it was Trey and I'm going to call him out. Trey Carmichael. He um, also another fascinating human. He said, so tell me when you're starting your podcast. <laughs> and so, you know, he was holding me accountable, right? So thank you so much for the time. And I just want to kind of sign off with the people that are listening that anytime someone has given me their time to listen, it's a gift. And I appreciate everybody that's taking the time to listen. Jamila, you're a fascinating person. Um, people are smart for listening to you because you have so much knowledge and you care. And I forget your age sometimes because, you know, me being who I am, you know, when we interact, it's, it's just, it's fascinating to me about the person that you are. And for the people that are listening, I want you guys to remember that you really can do anything that you want to do. And as cheesy as that sounds, it's true. And there's a couple lessons that we talked about that I want you to remember. There's a big difference between being honest with yourself and the truth. I was being honest with myself when I didn't think I had a problem, when I didn't think I was an addict or an alcoholic, but the truth of the matter is I was. And we can always find one lie that's going to change our life. We can find one big lie. And as soon as we discover that, we can take action on it, make a change. And then we can find another and that's growth. That's the, that's the fun part of the journey. And the second part is, there's a big difference between fault and responsibility. We all get so stuck in, in whose fault is it and blaming other people. And I understand that. And if there's one thing I want you to take away from this, it's that fault is so irrelevant and responsibility is the only thing that matters because, you know, I was, I was verbally abused growing up and that may not be my fault, but it sure as fuck is my responsibility that I don't verbally abuse somebody else. 
And if we get so stuck in it not being our fault or that fault is is the most important thing, we never get to the ownership. We never get to move forward. Every, but someone has it worse, someone has it better, but we all have cards we're dealt. And as soon as you start saying, you know what? I don't care whose fault it is, but this is who I want to be. This is what I want to do. You do have the ability to take ownership. You do have the ability to make shifts because if I can go from drinking a full glass of vodka and doing copious amounts of cocaine to never craving it anymore and you know, building the businesses and having the success that I have, like anybody can. And if you choose to believe that, you will have success, but you have to choose to believe it. And it takes that. So um, thank you so much, Jamila. You're one of my favorite people. And um, I could talk for hours. Thank you so much, Andrew. You guys, this is just a little bit of the fire that Andrew brings. And if you resonated with anything that Andrew shared with us today, I would just love it if you just took a screenshot of this episode, went ahead, tagged me and Andrew on social media. Andrew, where can people find you? Where can people connect with you? Because I know that everyone is going to want to connect with you to get more of you and especially to hear the updates on the upcoming podcast. So where can people find you and connect? The best way is I like real conversations. I love hearing people. Um, I want, I would recommend people shoot me a message on Instagram and I want people to feel comfortable doing that. I will respond. I will take the time to interact. And um, I don't want people to feel like they would be bothering me or anything. This is why I do what I do. If you're having that feeling like, yes, I'd love to ask him this question, lean in and do it. Please contact me. I'm here to serve. I'm here to help. And I take the time. So shoot me a message on Instagram. I give you my word. I will respond. And if you're listening, thinking I'm talking to somebody else, I'm not. I'm talking directly to you. You're the person I want to talk to. You're the person I want to help. And if you reach out, shoot me a message. I promise you I'll change your life. All right, you guys, and I will put a link to Andrew's Instagram in the description down below. What was the handle again? It's at Andrew Finnefrock. I will spell it out. Um, Andrew, A-N-D-R-E-W, F as in Frank, I-N-N-E, F as in Frank, R-O-C-K. It's at Andrew Finnefrock. Perfect. Awesome, Andrew. Thank you so much for carving out the time in your day to come on here. I just know that there have been so many um, aha moments from our listeners. And I just want to thank you again for being so open and vulnerable always and always just, you know, really caring and putting your heart out there. So thanks again for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much. tuning into today's episode of the Becoming the Big Me podcast. If you found value in today's episode, make sure to leave us a review and share this episode with someone who needs to hear this message. That's how our podcast grows. Are you curious about learning more about harnessing the power of your subconscious mind? Then join the free rewire challenge where we dive deep into the subconscious mind, how it works, and give you some tangible action steps to begin rewiring it to serve you. Go to bit.ly slash rewire challenge. That's bit.ly 
dot lee slash rewire challenge until next time i'm your host jamila bernie signing out Thank you.